I was sleeping around, just a horny young gay Having lots of sex in lots of careless ways Then I got the word from my drag mother Come on, little miss Now we work with ending HIV Supporting and informing our community Serving up a podcast celebration Across the generations And that is why we're here <laughs> This is a sexual transmission We're stiff And plays Hi, I'm Blaze. Hi, I'm Steph. And welcome to Sexual Transmission, a podcast for the people, queer people specifically. Today's episode is about stigma. Later we'll be talking to Rodrigo Olan about his experience as someone living with HIV. But first, on with the show! Welcome back to the podcast. My oh my, it's nice to be back in the studio again with you, Mama. Gorgeous as always. <laughs> Enchanté, madame. <laughs> um, it's so exciting. I'm, I'm really enjoying being on this journey with you and exploring all of these wonderful issues and themes that um, we are confronted with as a community. Mm. Um, and it's really amazing just kind of exploring these with you. And yeah, absolutely. I'm certainly learning a lot, I think. Yeah, me too. The last episode on cruising, I felt like I was in a history lesson with some <laughs> amazing experts and, and, and that Expert. kind of Expert old bog queens. Expert old bog queens. That's what we need more of in our life, <laughs> I think. Absolutely. And today's episode is really exciting too. Exactly. Talking about stigma. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I have faced personally, so it's mm. something that's kind of quite close to my heart. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about this in the past. I mean, it's and, <laughs> massively and one of the reasons I sit here in front of you today. Yeah. I mean, I remember when um, when we first met and I, I disclosed my HIV status to you and that was something that I did because, you know, we had developed a relationship and become friends. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's something that I don't take lightly yeah. um, generally. And a little later when we talk to Rodrigo, I'll, I'll go a bit more into the reasons why, you know, that's I've sort of held back often from, yeah. from talking about my HIV status. But yeah, I mean, I guess in short, it can be a big deal to people. And, you know, even though I talk very frankly with friends and family, it's not something that I, I necessarily um, open up about in the public arena. So this is kind of a big deal for me, but it also feels really, really um, special to share with our listeners because I think the more that we are open and honest about our experience and how we've got to where we are, helps other people in some way. It also just kind of opens up the lines of communication. It definitely does. And I think it'll be very valuable and enriching, I think, for our listeners to have that perspective. It's one of those things that will forever be etched into my soul that morning that you disclose that um, mm. to me. And I think one of the, the very special binding forces of our relationship and definitely one of the reasons I think I am so passionate about what I do here at the New Zealand AIDS Foundation oh. and, and, and what brings me here, you know, and it's one of the driving forces behind the passion for my work. And I think wow. allowing our listenership to experience a bit of that is so powerful. And mm. I know I'm certainly grateful to be able to share in this conversation with yourself and Rodrigo today. I think it's really, really special. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think we, we really get into 
the nitty gritty of um, you know how people living with HIV you know can come up up against so many barriers, both personal and you know with other people. So I think it's a really enriching conversation. And, definitely, and, yeah. definitely, and I think offers offers people a little bit of insight both into the experiences, but also ways in which they can combat stigma, Absolutely. Um, ways in which people can be empowered to hold space and hold conversations about stigma so that we can actually change the landscape of what stigma is in this country. Mm, absolutely. And as someone who is um, HIV negative, I think your voice is a really important part of this as well, because it, it guides you know people who aren't living with HIV on ways that they can be more supportive and help someone to not feel frightened about disclosing mm. their status. Mm, so mm. it's a really exciting conversation. I'm, I'm looking forward to our listeners being able to hear it. Me too. Also in this episode, we're going to be answering some questions from you, our listeners. Yes. Um, all about stigma and uh, stigma-associated things that y'all want to know. So we're looking forward to answering those later in the episode. Amazing. But for now, without any further ado, let's roll the tape with um, Rodrigo. Woohoo! So we're here today with Rodrigo Olin, who is one of our uh, colleagues here at the New Zealand AIDS Foundation. Rodrigo is from Mexico. He's lived all around the world and has such a variety of different experiences that he brings to this work. And he's fabulous in every way. Hi, Rodrigo. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Um, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure to have you here, darling. Yeah, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself. I am a gay man. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that? From the beginning? I mean, <laughs> nobody can tell. tell. <laughs> no, I can pass. <laughs> um, well, I'm Rodrigo. I am 37 years old. And I am originally from Mexico. I've been living in New Zealand for almost 10 years. I'm also living with HIV since 2003. And as you said, I'm also working for the New Zealand AIDS Foundation. Yeah, I'm really, really passionate about anything that is related with HIV in general, obviously. Um, and with the rights of people living with HIV, um, because we still face a lot of stigma and discrimination. Mm, and that's quite challenging sometimes uh, in my own life and I know in the life of many other people. So, mm. so I'm really passionate about that. That's why I'm working at the Lindsay Nunes Foundation. And, but I work on the AIDS field for uh, many more years, basically since I was diagnosed in 2003. Mm. That really changed my life. And I decided that I was just, well, about the time when I found out that I was living with HIV, I was in the middle of uh, university. So I wanted to drop, but I decided to finish just because that was something that I started and I'm always like... One of those people who likes to finish something that I start. But then also I decided to focus my career in, yeah, working on HIV, you know, mm. as an educator, facilitator for workshops, and just basically more from the community side, you know, mm. like community mm. engagement and talking to people about what is HIV and just educating around, basically. Mm. Amazing. I mean, it's an honor to have you here and to share you that expertise with us. Thank you, darling. So, so you were living in Mexico when you when you first were diagnosed? Yes, yes. So I'm not originally from Mexico City, which is the capital of the country. I'm from the countryside, if we can call it. So I'm a country girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I decided to go to study university uh, in Mexico City. Uh, at the same time, I was coming out of the closet. You know, mm -hmm. I told my mom that I was gay or that I'm gay. 
And I went to study university in Mexico City. So I contracted HIV when I was mm. in, in Mexico City. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that living in that culture? Was there support? Was it something that was a difficult experience? Or did you find that there was good support there with um, the local foundation? How, how, how did that come about for you? To be honest, when I found out about my status, it wasn't really a good experience. That was 2003, and things have changed a lot since then. And especially, I mean, in this case, we're speaking about Mexico, Mexico, mm. Mexico. It's a very conservative it's very Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's very machista as well. Mm. So uh, now it's okay to be gay, especially in the big cities. But mm. if you're gay and um, you live like in a small town, just like here in New Zealand as well, mm. it's pretty difficult to come yeah, out and just yeah, to be yeah. yourself. I mean, so obviously that contributed to not having the right support for me when mm. I when I was diagnosed with HIV. It was terrible. It was terrible. I got my news in. Um, in an office, like it was not really appropriate counseling to be told what, mm. what, what was coming up. I was told a lot of things that were not right. Like mm. I was going to die, that I didn't have much time to live, that I should have just like isolate myself basically mm. and try to avoid like crowds of people because mm. I could just contract an infection and basically die mm, uh, over the time. So imagine like telling that to someone who's like, yeah. I was at that time, how old I was like 18, 19. Wow. So I was actually 20, sorry, I was 20. And um, that was pretty hard. Mm. And when I got the news at that time, I just called my best friend. She came to support me. Yeah, I mean, that was my only support. And this is how um, life works in mysterious ways, I say, because we were both at the university and she said to me, well, you know what? I read a poster that's going to be a conference about HIV. So I think we should go. Wow. And I was like, well, yes, I know. I mean, I don't really want to know any more about it. I just got news that I got it, mm. you know, but she literally dragged me to the conference. And there was this guy giving a literally a workshop, a conference about what it was HIV. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot there, which totally the bank everything that I was told in terms mm. of that I was going to die, that I was like, I learned much about like what it was. But mostly and more important is that at the end of the conference, I decided to just to talk to the guy, to the presenter. And I said, hey, I, I was just literally diagnosed with HIV. Mm-hmm. His jaw dropped, you know, because probably he was not expecting, probably he even like found anyone who just came after his presentations to say that to him. I was mm. like, I just got HIV. So he basically referred me to an organization, a non-for-profit organization, similar like the New Zealand Foundation. And he said, if you call, just say that you were recently diagnosed and that you uh, require support. So I did. Amazing. So I went to that organization and then I started to volunteer for them and just trying to get involved. And that basically was my support, my network support. I wow. started to make friends who were highly informed about what it was HIV, you know? And so, so there was there was the information and the support there, but just wasn't the way that you came into it first. Yeah, exactly. So mm. so they became my, my support network, and that was mm. very important for me at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was definitely the, what it changed for me, my view about HIV, mm. you know? Mm. Uh, that empowered me from the very beginning mm. to just be okay with it, yeah. you know, wow. and to work on it. So That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Honestly, I think that if it wasn't because I got HIV, I probably wouldn't be here in New yeah, Zealand right. sitting with you speaking yeah. about this. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so do you think um, that, you know, the fact that the culture and society was quite repressed where you lived, you know, meant that there, you didn't have the education to protect yourself from contracting the disease? Well, you know, I still 
say this publicly. I did get the actual information and education when mm. I was in school. I did receive classes about what it was HIV, how mm. it was transmitted. It didn't go in deep, you mm. know, like I don't think we were even show how to use a condom, but I definitely knew what it was HIV, how it's transmitted mm. and the condoms in my case for being a gay man. That was the way that I was going to work for me, you know, mm. that I could get protected. But information is not enough mm. for someone to avoid contracting HIV. It's just mm. also about your behavior and other factors. So despite the fact that I knew how it was transmitted, that condoms at that time were the only way to actually protect mm. myself against HIV, I still contracted it, you know, and mm. and it was mainly other factors. Like my mom didn't didn't really enjoy for me to come out of the mm. closet mm. with her. I'm not saying I'm pointing at her, but it's, it was one thing that it was sort of pushed me away from home and made me feel a little bit unwanted, you mm -hmm. know? So it, it, it took a huge toll in my self-esteem, in mm. my confidence as well, mm. you know? So that sort of pushed me to just not being responsible with myself in mm, that respect, mm. you know? Um, and I think this is a, a really important thing to touch on because, you know, often low self-esteem can lead people to unsafe practices. Um, and it's definitely something that um, is a big contributing factor to people maybe being talked into having unsafe sex or putting themselves in unsafe situations. And I think it's a really important thing to think about that, you know, it's not necessarily only education or someone's understanding of, you know, how the disease is contracted, you know, self-esteem and self-confidence and caring about your health and, and, you know, taking good care of yourself are really important factors. It takes a lot of work mm. for me to realize that that was the thing that it sort of pushed me up drove me into a behavior of not using condoms, mm, you know? Mm. Sometimes it's not that evident. It's not that obvious mm. that some people, some guys or some people who is HIV negative, who might be in that state where are vulnerable, it's really hard for people at the time to actually acknowledge, to realize that and mm. therefore like change their behaviors, you know? Absolutely. So, so yeah, but it's definitely, that's what I narrow it down for mm, my case, you know? Mm, it was a, a series of factors but it was basically a lack of support around my family, you know, mm. like, I guess I often think about what would it be different, like, if my mom would have been accepting to me when I came out of the closet, would I have decided to go to Mexico City and just like, sort of isolate myself from my family because they mm. rejected me? No, probably I would have stayed or probably I would have just gone to a closer university and just been more close to my family. And probably I would have been different, you know, but mm. there's no point. Um, there's no, right? There's, yeah, no, yeah. there's no like, oh, what if? But I think the point here is that I often think about all those things, you know, mm. that uh, to sort of like push me into situations where I didn't make good decisions, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say, I don't regret anything. Mm. I mean, HIV has changed my life in a positive and negative ways. Mm. Um, and I tend to see the positive ones. Absolutely, you know? yeah. yeah. And I mean, we're, we're living in, in such a fortunate time where a positive um, diagnosis isn't a, a death sentence. You know? I think we're getting into better, better, better times. Like mm. I was late for PrEP. Because <laughs> like if I, like at that time, if we had PrEP in 2003, I definitely wouldn't be like living with HIV right now. Mm. You know, I would have gone PrEP and just like keep going my life. But mm. um, so I think it's only getting better.
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think back to, you know, when I first came out and when I was definitely first um, experimenting with having sex with men, it was at the time where the AIDS crisis was in full swing and there was no treatment. Um, it was literally a death sentence. And, you know, there was a lot of fear mongering and there was a lot of stuff that caused a lot of gay people to not come out. You know, people definitely thought as a gay person, you'll probably have AIDS. You know, it was, there was a lot of, of very, very negative propaganda going around. And it certainly caused a lot of fear. You know, I, I, I remember the first couple of times that I went to be tested, I was terrified, you know, and I remember all of my friends being the same. It was a very highly charged emotional experience because if you became positive, then that was it. You know, you you had a, a limited period of time that you were going to live for. And we'd seen people that we knew dying before us. So it was a scary time. I do think, though, a lot about, you know, the fact that that in itself didn't stop people from unsafe practices. You know, you would still do things in the heat of the moment. You would still do things if you were a little bit wasted. You would have unsafe sex. You would have sex without condoms and then feel the guilt afterwards. So it was a, it was a multi-layered thing that was happening. You know, people were living in fear, doing dangerous things, having regrets. You know, it was like there was so much being heaped on constantly it was a, a seriously fucked up time. It created, you know, a, a whole generation of people that were living in a very, very strange headspace. Yeah, I think that what you're saying about, like, at that time, I think fear fueled a lot of those beliefs mm, in absolutely. ourselves, in our community, you mm, know? Mm. I often think that HIV and AIDS sort of really, really punch low our community as a mm. gay group, you know, because we were coming out before HIV was present in our community. We were just like flourishing, I believe, you know, mm, like I yeah. wish I was born <laughs> yeah. in the 70s yeah. where God, yeah. sexual liberation Amazing. and like totally. hot sex and like, it was just like our time. Mm, and mm. then even though that it I was, was a not revolution, born wasn't in it? that it was, time, yeah. Yeah. I feel that that was taken away from us? Yeah. I mean, how many people, like you say, how many people died mm. of AIDS? Like, like mm. flies, literally. And I know I had many friends who also died, mm. you know. Mm. It took a long, long time uh, for me to, like, try to heal that because, mm. you know, because if it wasn't because of those beliefs about people, or gay men, like, uh, associated with HIV, you know, like, equal, like, gay men equals, like, having HIV or mm. AIDS. Mm. Probably my life as a gay man would have been different, mm. would flourish, you know? Mm -hmm. And the way that I relate with all the gay men would have been different. So that's what I just say, like, that really fucked up our, like, commu gay community, you know? Mm. Yeah, so I guess going back into the time when I was first coming out and, you know, there, there, was, there was always a belief for me and I think most people of my generation that, you know, it was, it was so ingrained into us that, being gay equaled having AIDS, you know, mm. and it was something that I always, you know, every time I would go for a test, I would always think, is this the time? Is, you know, am, am I going to find out this time? And it was, it was a very long, drawn out process because, you know, for years and years and years, every time you would do something that was maybe slightly unsafe or a condom would break or something would happen, you know, that test would then mean, oh my God, am I positive this time? I mean, thankfully here in New Zealand, you know, unlike your experience, we've always had a really amazingly supportive system. There's always been 
the counseling and you know that whole thing is the main way that people would go and be tested you know you have a proper situation where you know you're in a safe environment there's backup counseling there's information that you're given afterwards and very ironically when i actually found out that i was positive was at a sexual health clinic it wasn't the same sort of environment it was a person who wasn't that supportive who basically just said to me oh um yeah it's positive and there's some flyers you know you can do the the work yourself you know talk to the person out there you know it was very off the cuff and very it certainly didn't feel like i was in an environment where i felt safe and supported as you know i had been in the past so I guess the blow was lessened because I'd prepared myself for, you know, maybe about 15 or 18 years that it was probably almost definitely going to happen. You know, I'd always thought that I would almost definitely um, become positive. And that is, um, I guess, a strange thing that meant when I found out I wasn't surprised, I wasn't upset, it wasn't something that really made me think, oh my God, my life is over because I'd been expecting it for so long. But you know, that that what you're saying, it's a very clear example of how the stigma, the HIV stigma becomes part of yourself. Mm, mm. Whether you are HIV positive or you're HIV negative, it's quite interesting to see that because I totally agree with you. You know, like I also thought, and I knew sort of like in the bottom of my heart that at some point, I was going to be HIV positive as well, mm. but it was because of all, exactly what you said, all these ideas that I heard from people's comments, you know, when I was growing up um, in the family, the jokes about the gay, mm -hmm. the faggot, yeah. you know, and, oh, he's sick. Oh my God, it's promiscuous, lots of partners, sex, you know, all those words, mm. they're just like uh, stick in your mind, yeah, in your head. inside your head. And you yeah. grow up like thinking and seeing the world with through that view for mm. most of us. I'm mm. just only speaking about my experience. And that's when, when all that stigma, with all those beliefs, negative beliefs about a specific social group, in this case for us as a gay man, just become part of you. Mm. Just, just internalize that. And in some way, drives you through it mm, and mm. to it you know um yeah. so it's so so that's how it permeates that's mm. how deep and horrible it is mm, you know mm. and that's translated to many other things i mean i mean we're speaking specifically around hiv but let's go a little bit back and in terms of being gay mm. right like for someone who wants to come out of the closet um i don't know i mean you're, you're, oh, you're i think it's so prevalent today even mm. and i kind of coined this term a few years ago called intergenerational internalized serophobia, where I was thinking about what is that in its essence? Mm. Because those attitudes have permeated from generation to generation to generation. Mm. And you know, what was it? 2014, I remember driving down Karangahape Road and I couldn't even look at an LYC billboard without feeling scared to my stomach. Mm. And it was the same thing. Every time I went and got a test, every time something happened, I was like, oh my God. And those things had permeated from the things that I had been exposed to as Absolutely. a young person. And there's an element of shame around that. And what that does, it's that self-esteem 
piece again. It, it, mm. it, it places you in a position where you're actually more likely to be in those, I guess, like higher risk, in inverted quotation marks, situations. It's kind of chicken or the egg. Mm. Um, you know, there's this shame. Therefore, you have a lower self-esteem. Therefore, you're going to be exposing yourself to things which are putting you at higher risk. Because your self-worth is exactly. low and you don't feel exactly. that you deserve to have yeah. a and good, healthy... And it's so interconnected mm. with, you know, not only HIV, but our sexuality, mm. our worth and our value as people. And I find that really interesting that that is such a commonality between generations. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the three of us, you know, we're, we're of different decades yeah. of age and, and we're all still feeling this. You know, I was yeah. really interested to hear what you would say, Blaze, because I thought, are we still in this place? You know, I mean, I think your your experience and mine, Rodrigo, is very similar, but, mm. you know, are we still in this place? And it sounds like we are. I think are, so. You know? I, I think so. Think I mean, so. how many young people yeah. is trying to come out of the closet? Yeah. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what I was like referring in some way. Like, it takes a lot still for a lot of people mm. the challenge is still for many people to come out you know the closet because mm. of all those things that we hear that are negative about mm. the group that we belong to mm. you know mm. and well that translates into hiv as well yeah mm. absolutely yeah it's it's super super interesting you know you you work closely a, a lot blaze with young people who have probably come out within the time of prep Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. And you know, does that create some sort of um, like a lessened stigma around contracting HIV? Or? It's, that's a, such an interesting question, and I actually think I'm going to say on a very small scale because prep and funded prep in New Zealand is still very new. Mm. And yeah, like some of these people I work with came out last year. Mm, you know, mm. a few of them aren't even out, mm. but the conversations they have are about and around HIV are quite open. And I certainly couldn't have had those conversations mm, when I was mm. 18, 19. Mm. Did you? you know, I, I couldn't. Um, I couldn't. No, no. I was scared to death and no. I absolutely could not hold those conversations. And one thing I found really interesting is when I did my show, Everybody Interesting is Gay, I took them along to it. Mm. And there's a segment in that show about the AIDS epidemic mm. and, and about the effect that has and the, how far we've come. And one of them said to me, he said... You know, I had no idea. I had no idea. Mm. And that, you know, we talked about that little piece before about the three generations. And mm. I was like, ah, you know, with the advent of prep, maybe, maybe this is the thing. This is the thing. Exactly, that, yeah. That, that's going to create mm. a little bit of change. Because he had, he said he was so far removed from it. Mm. Um and I was like, ah, okay, well, this is where you need to link into your heritage as a queer person. Absolutely. But I mean, I guess I'm always looking for the idea of progress. Oh, and God, is yeah. this yeah. is this the tie? Is this the thing that's mm. going to create some some progress mm. for young people, you yeah. know, confronting and maybe avoiding the stigma that we've also clearly felt? You know, that would that would be an amazing Absolutely. thought, right? Absolutely. And it's that sexual liberation thing of the seventies. Oh, yeah. That mm. was what I kind of posed that question. I was like, Maybe this generation younger than I am, or a couple mm. of generations younger than I am, maybe that's it. There's not a couple of generations. No, <laughs> die, but oh, but gener I feel so old. A generation is only 15 <laughs> years, darling. <laughs> these, these youngins make me feel so old. Oh, oh my God. You remind me so much. Five or seven generations <laughs> younger than me. Speaking about We've those. got the dowager in the corner. <laughs> The 25-year-old dowager. Yeah, exactly. Once I had this experience. Now I feel old. <laughs> yeah. No. Like once, speaking about the dating sites and all this stuff, once I was 
dating. Well, I wanted to date. Uh, uh, probably not. I probably just was just looking for a hookup. <laughs> and um, I went to this website and I was just like describing myself. It was my early 30s. So I said, oh, yeah, middle-aged man. And then I got this guy who was messaging me and said, middle-aged? You're only 30-something. And I was like, well... Yeah, isn't it like middle age for gay men? <laughs> and this is actually quite funny. This is actually quite funny because when I was very young and um, I had this very interesting conversation, obviously, when I got like uh, involved into the AIDS response and all that stuff and like with an organization. So I met this really, really, really cool guy. Actually, I think I owe him a lot of what I am as someone living with HIV and the passion that it drives me. I learn a lot. But anyway... He was saying to me, and he had this theory that at that time, I think now it's a little bit outdated because things have changed. But he told me about this thing that in his experience, he talked to many, many young gay men. And he saw really clear how sometimes for us as a gay man, we we want to be pretty, we want to be fit. And sometimes we think that someone who's above 35 is like ancient, you know? And having said that, it's a way sometimes for someone who's HIV positive, I just, the thing that I'm trying to say is basically that I feel that another reason why I in some way contracted HIV was through reasons of me not wanting to die old. Right. Because old, when I was growing up and forming myself as a gay man, mm. was the worst thing that it could happen to you as a gay man, as being as well, like obviously like dying of AIDS or something like that, you know, but quite a lot of uh, people that I met when I was younger, they said to me, well, I'd rather die young mm. than die old. Mm. So it's sort of this idea of self-sabotage about right. not going or allowing myself to go into becoming older, you know, like an old gay man. Mm. And instead of that, I'm just going to trunk my life, just just get an infection and just die. It sounds like horrible and cruel, but it is just about these ideas that we have and conceptions about that. Absolutely, yeah. Like how old you're supposed to be when you're gay or like mm. how is like, how old, I don't even know how to say it now, but like. No, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. And, and I think I had a very similar experience, but mine was around the release you know, because there is such which a, release. Well, the release of finally thinking, okay, I don't need to wonder when it's going to happen. Right, it's, it's happened. It's true. It is it's true. It's like finally, there's no worry. There's no, is this the person? You know, when when you have um, casual sex with someone, is this the person I'm going to catch it from? Is this the experience that's going to um, make me uh, HIV positive? And the way that that fucks with your head and the things that that does to you over periods and periods of time is actually, there's an amazing release to that. When you get a positive test and finally you're like, okay, well, there's no more thinking about it. It's happened and here we are. I can finally just let that go. I don't need to think anymore. When am I going to have this? Because the inevitability was so great in my mind and in so many people from my generation, we, that, we all felt that way. And then finally it's like, thank God. Okay, well, I've got it. Great. How do I move on here? What do I do next? And thankfully for me, I became positive after, you know, there was some combination medication. It wasn't a point in time where it was a death sentence. So, you know, very luckily for me, but the way that it fucked with my head for so many years, you know, I, I don't almost don't know which is, is worse. And, and that stigma is something that, you know, really kind of held me back, um, I guess, emotionally, sexually, and lots and lots of ways for so many years. So 
It is a very sad truth what you said. That release, you know, like that saying, "Well, I got it. I don't mm. have to worry about mm. it's here." You yeah. Know? But sadly, we face the other side, right? Once you cross the line, it's just like, "Oh, well, now my fears and anxiety are derived from mm. living with it." Mm. Or at least from my side, it is. But yeah, I mean, that's what you're saying is to... horrible because yeah. it is horrible. We yeah. shouldn't feel like that, no. you know? No, like we, we shouldn't, shouldn't feel like, "Oh my God, I'm just waiting for the time that when it comes, and mm. like I'm just getting my my diagnosis." It's horrible. Yeah, it's really fucked up. It's really dark and crazy, you know. And 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 this was created through years and years and years and years of prejudice and and stigma that was built up around this disease and um, institutionalized. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it Absolutely. was in the system yeah. from the highest point of government. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Know? And when you asked me earlier how, yeah. like, if I in which way I face stigma or discrimination. Mm. I face it when I came here, you know, to New Zealand. New Zealand mm. currently has an immigration policy that prevents people in with HIV to immigrate unless they are partners of a New Zealander or a right. permanent resident. So that is institutionalized discrimination. It is. You know? mm. um, we can see it from any angle. Yes, indeed. Like uh, some people might argue that the cost is really high. It is actually not that. And we're not going to go into details, you know, mm. but mm. the fact that there is a barrier it is uh, institutionalized yeah. uh, stigmatization, discrimination, really, of, mm, against mm, us, you know? So, yeah. yeah, you're totally right there. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we don't see that. We just think that that stigma or discrimination is something only just like amongst us, yeah, like, like between social. individuals, yeah. you know, mm, yeah. no governments mm. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I lived in the UK for a long time and there was, you know, um, a law that was brought in by Margaret Thatcher called Section 28, which was about promotion of gay sexuality and it meant that if a child came to a teacher and said i am gay and i need you to help me the teacher was by law stopped from helping the child in any way because that could be seen as the promotion of homosexuality so from that level there was no help for gay people and this internalized shame and stigma was created from a very very young age and you know again in that institutionalized way so this has been happening for years and years mm. and years. Mm. You know, finally being gay is no longer illegal, mm. but then they introduce this law that says we're not going to put you in prison for being gay, but you can't talk about it and we can't help you if you do talk about it. So it's just putting people back in the closet Absolutely. again. Exactly. And only driving people to not come to terms at the end of the day to who you really are Absolutely. and what you want no and how there. you like it. It just also reflects about like how like people just decide to go under the shadows, like mm. to do it on like clandestine yeah. way. You yeah. Know? Um, like yeah. So yeah. So a lot of people decide to go and do it under the table, literally. Mm. No, well, no. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that a lot of people like I've got tend someone to... under the table right now, <laughs> oh, darling. Oh yeah. Um, no, like that drives people to just not come up to terms with what we really are, and Absolutely. just to do it like uh, hidden, you know, mm. like to not access health services and say I'm a proud gay mm. man. Mm. I need condoms. I need prep yeah. to look after I need myself. Counseling to help so, with my self-esteem. Mm. Obviously, yeah. you are not going to accept that you are who you are, and therefore take action to look after yourself and have the best in your hands to like prevent mm. an HIV infection in this case and just make it like clandestine, you yeah. know, like, and that's still happening. I mean, Absolutely. we see it, what, in, in Russia, in um, Eastern Europe, still mm, in, like mm. what is going on now. Uh, in some parts of the United States, you know, I mean, there's, there's still states in the United States where it's incredibly dangerous to come out and there's no support there. <sighs> 
So yeah, I mean, it's happening all over. It's interesting to talk to you about the stigma post-diagnosis as well. And I guess my experience is a little different to yours in terms of um, I was diagnosed and then pretty much straight away ended up in a monogamous relationship and have been in that for most of the time that I've been positive or for pretty much all of the time I've been positive. And I was lucky to meet someone who had no stigma against me being positive. Um, we've had a really amazing supportive relationship and you know I've, I feel like I've been incredibly lucky. In terms of stigma though, I don't publicly talk a lot about my status. You know, obviously all my friends, my family, I'm open to talk about it if people want to talk about it, but I don't, I'm perhaps not as open as, as you are. I mean, I don't have to be. I'm not um, having sex with people, casual sex with people. That means that I should disclose. So, you know, it's, it's a different situation. But I think that stigma is still there, even though it's not in a sexual way. It's a stigma that makes me think are people, you know, for my job, I work with people very closely. I touch people's faces and, and hair. You know, I do makeup and hair for a living. And I think... Are people still concerned about that? Is that something that someone would think, I don't want that guy to do my makeup because he's HIV positive? The stigma exists in many layers of society. And it's part of the reason why I've not talked publicly about it before, because, you know, is it a concern? Will I lose a job? Will someone feel strange towards me? And when I actually sit down and rationally think about it, I know people don't. But that is my internalized stigma that I'm carrying around with me. You know, I think that everyone thinks that I'm some dirty AIDS freak, you know, because that's what's been put into my mind over years and years and years. So, you know, even out the other side of it, if everything else is rosy, there's still quite often something that is going to hold you back in some way. And that's what the stigma is doing. Yeah, because you never know how people is going to react. I think totally. it is 50-50. Mm. Like it can go really good. People like said, okay. <laughs> like I, I, I think probably that's my favorite reaction from people. You know, like when I said, yeah, uh, I'm HIV positive. Okay. And then we just move on, mm. you know, like uh, obviously, well, I don't know how much they know, but, um, or they don't know about this, but yeah, I, it's just horrible how we have to like, how we stop ourselves because we don't know how the person is going to react, mm. you know, mm. when we tell them that. So in terms of, um, I'm really interested to, you know, I know that you um, work closely in this stigma workplace and where can we go from here? How, how, what do we do to try and alleviate this, bring people out the other side? How do we raise people up away from, you know, what's been created? Something that we need to do more is just to speak about it, to talk mm. about it. You know, I, I totally respect your position to, I don't think necessarily everyone living with HIV needs to be public about it. No. You know, that's okay. And I just want to clarify that. I just want to say that it's okay not to say it to everyone. Absolutely. And probably depending the situation, but most of the cases when people feel that they don't want to disclose, it's probably better that they don't disclose because mm. they know they are putting themselves at risk, you know, mm. being rejected. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. Like if someone is living with HIV and you don't want to disclose to like to everyone, that's all right. You mm. will find your time, Absolutely. you know. For me, being out and just like saying, well, yeah, I'm HIV positive, in some way is a political act because there is still a lot that we need to get done, you know. Like people need to see me and see other people living with HIV working 
sporting, thriving, thriving, mm. loving, fucking, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, we Absolutely. we are not dead. You know, we are not sexless. We feel probably even more. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's what was really important. You know, mm-hmm. so we need to make ourselves visible and to say we're here and we're queer and we're HIV positive. You mm-hmm. know, and that's okay mm-hmm. with that. So education, yeah. education, just like talking about this and what you guys do here is just like the essence of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. to just being open about everything, just having an open mind about everything that we learn and that's for everyone. Mm-hmm. So so I think basically my job is that. My job is just to share information with other people. Mm. Talk about HIV, talk about STIs, talk about our behaviors. You know, because it's not only about speaking about HIV and how it's contracted mm. and what it is and like all those things that can be quite like at some point technical. Mm. It's just about we need to talk more about our behaviors. What do we do? And not to shame ourselves, not to joke, like, or putting ourselves in like, oh my God, you're a deviated. Well, if you are, well, enjoy it if it works for you, you know, but it's about speaking openly about our behaviors. Mm-hmm. So then we can help and support each other. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah. so I'm just like, just say it. And yeah. that's for me, the, in instance, like the thing that we just need to just keep constantly do, like informing yeah. and educating and sharing knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel a little bit, I also think empowering, I think, is a really important thing as well. Mm. You know, it's okay to enjoy sex. Yeah. It's yeah. okay to love it's sex. It's okay to have sex if you are living with HIV. Uh, exactly. Mm. It's mm. okay to have sex if you're living with HIV. It's Absolutely. okay to have sex with a person who is living with HIV. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, like, that's very important, obviously, right? Like, uh, we don't want to get into, into <laughs> like, debate, but it is important um, to clarify and to say, yes, we people in Rich have, we, we deserve, we have sex. We actually have sex. It's not that we're asking for permission. And we don't say it lightly. I mean, obviously, now being undetectable, which means for someone living with HIV, who is on antiretroviral treatment. Mm -hmm. That means that the level of the amount of HIV in our bloodstream is so low, so little, that we effectively cannot pass HIV onto someone, even if we don't use condoms. So when you say, Blaze, oh, it's okay uh, for people with HIV to have sex and exercise their uh, pleasurable, healthy, sexy life, it is. So if someone is living with HIV and can be still using condoms and having mm. a fabulous life, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. there's still that belief as well about it, us living with HIV of like being so promiscuous and like having lots of sex and mm. all stuff. But at the same time, we're ashamed about that. Yeah. So it's quite funny about that um, mm. in that respect. Yeah. It's, I think as well, like there's a general shame around people being promiscuous. If that's what you want to do, go for it. Like, go why? for it. Go for it. <laughs> There's no better time to do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, there's so much information around STIs. There's so much um, information around, you know, protecting yourself from HIV. There's PrEP. There's U equals U. You know, there's there's so much information. We're we're so loaded now with um, with things that can empower us to go out and be a massive slut if that's what you want to do. Like, why not? How fabulous. So fabulous. And this is- just don't do that. Exactly. Whatever you want to do. Whatever floats your boat. But that's a really interesting thing as well. Just touching on that briefly is STI stigma. Mm. And, you know, not testing for fear of a diagnosis. I've sat with people very recently who they will restrict their sexual behavior because they're scared of acquiring gonorrhea. It's like, Hon, if you're sucking a dick without a condom on it, you're going to get gonorrhea. Mm. If that person 
Or has gone if you're having your dick sucked by someone who's exactly. got it, then you're going to get out on your cock, You're going to have to get the medication regardless. <laughs> STIs are part of sex. STIs <laughs> are part of sex. And it's so okay to acquire an STI. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's much better to get a treatment though. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's much better to get but tested that's the and thing, treated right? Like I always say this, like yeah. obviously it's... Obviously, having an STI is such an inconvenience. Mm. It is because we have to be out of That's circulation is, for some right? days, exactly. right? It's an inconvenience. <laughs> but it is an inconvenience because... We have to like obviously access the healthcare services mm. and get the treatment, but that's the best thing. That actually yeah. there are treatments. Yeah, you know. Gotcha. I mean, we are obviously not like uh, saying to people like, oh, just like go and get a jab, you'll be fine. Do what you like, and then <laughs> yeah. just get the jab and <laughs> get the jab. It is, I, th- I think the best way in that respect, mm. and uh, obviously like uh, notify another person, you know, mm. when you go to STL. But it's like it's the shame again, which right? is oh, yeah, gosh, also yeah. part of that yeah. stigma. Oh, totally, people, so people like, being afraid. You know, you've yeah. you've met this hot guy, you've started having a casual thing, you realize that you've got an STI. You realize you've probably given it to him, and you think, oh, I don't want him to see me in that way. Maybe he gave it to you, girl. Exactly, honey. There's there's no blame. It's like, you know, just get on with it. Be frank. Be upfront. Protect yourself. Protect other people. And just, you know, do what feels right. Yeah. Obviously, this episode is about stigma. What are some of the types of stigma that you have experienced in the community or from the community? Ah, well, I've been insulted. I've been insulted um, verbally, you know, like someone in front of my face is not like saying to me, well, I hope you die. Um, I'm glad that you had AIDS, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was like, in my mind, obviously, I was like, it hurts, you know, it hurts. Mm. So I've been insulted verbally. People have told me horrible things about the infection that I have, the virus that I have, not in the way that I'm saying it, just literally saying, oh, I hope you die of AIDS or no wonder why you got AIDS. Things, remarks like that, that obviously are really, really hurting. Now that we have these dating apps, I had, yeah, the disgrace of finding people who not been accepting. And mm. even though that it was not like in front of me or verbally, I take it as well as a way, even if it's written, you know, like, or texted or in a chat, I've been basically rejected, mm, you know, mm. and insulted as well. So yeah, I, I, I experienced it different levels, you know, mm. I've been insulted, I've been um, rejected and that rejection has been also like in terms of dating when I've been dating, I mean, I'm, I'm in a relationship right now, but dating has been hard sometimes, you know, when, when I really want to disclose and just want to say, this is who I am in every way. I've been rejected sexually as well you know not Mm. only when i'm trying to meet someone to go on a date but like when i just want to just have some sex you know um, and i disclose some people react well positively Mm. but some of us not and unfortunately the ones who said no or the ones who reject me because i'm hiv positive are the ones that like stay there you know like in my mind remembering for you yeah exactly and that's horrible. So, mm. so yeah, there is many levels. There are many levels. There are many ways that I've been pushed away, rejected, and insulted as well. I want to go really briefly back to what you were saying, Rodrigo, about if it doesn't feel right for you to disclose your status, then just don't. You know, there's probably something that's telling you that it's not safe to do that. And, and that's definitely okay too you have to trust your your own instinct mm, in that respect mm. it's important for people to hear that it's okay i, I know it's difficult you know mm. because it can become a secret i 
had the fortune to meet so many people and to hear their stories about them living with HIV. Mm. And I've been, in many cases, the only person that they've told that right. they are HIV positive. Wow. And after that, they feel so relief, like you were saying mm. in, in earlier. Well, there was a different relief, but they feel relief because they never share that. And it's something that is just like really heavy. So yeah, it's okay. You don't have to disclose, you mm. know. I guess... Also, like, uh, something important to mention about here is, like, when you're dating, you know, well, I don't know, what, what, what was the story? Like, you you were sharing with us earlier about you meeting your partner, your current mm. partner, just after you were diagnosed. Was, was it hard for you? I mean, for me, that's always a challenge, you know, like, to say someone that I am interested or into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you say that, right? We were both very seriously looking for someone. We met each other. We hit it off. I um, spent the night at his house, and then he said, do you want to stay tonight? And basically, I never moved out, so I pretty much moved in straight away. And so it, <laughs> it went from zero to everything in a very short period of time. And I was bringing my medication in to the house and taking it secretly, probably for, I would say, for five or six days because, you know, I just thought, I don't I don't know, I, I don't know what's going on here. And then I just thought, actually, this is dumb. If I am as serious as I think I am about finding a partner and if I'm all in here, I just have to tell him. And I just told him, just came straight out with it. I didn't really even know him. I didn't know whether he was going to reject me or not. But I knew that if I was serious about having a relationship with this person, hiding it from him was not a good start. So I told him pretty much straight away. He said, that's okay. Doesn't bother me at all. Um, told me about a guy that he'd had a relationship with in the past that was probably his one of his other most important relationships he's ever had. And that guy was positive and it was never a problem now. I mean, you know, like I said, I really lucked out. The one thing that I take definitely from that is that if you're serious about being with someone or forming a relationship with them, honesty is really the only way to do it. And me hiding that medication in my bag and taking it secretly without him knowing just felt so wrong. And I didn't want to do that. So mm -hmm. it actually, it paid off for me. But I think if you're not feeling that way, if let's say I wasn't feeling safe or I wasn't feeling like I had the self-esteem to talk to him, it probably wasn't the time for me to be out looking for a relationship. And what I fortunately had done was I'd come to the Burnett Centre and I had counselling, you know, the free counselling that's here. I think I'd been for a, almost a year going every week and having counselling. And that actually really changed a lot of, um, you know, this internalised stigma that I had around the disease and things that, you know, before I even contracted HIV, that I broke down a lot of that stuff. And that got me to a point where I felt safe and and brave enough to be able to disclose mm, yeah to exactly Jamie straight away and you know finding whatever it is that's going to be the thing that empowers you and gives you the strength to feel that there's nothing wrong with you you know if that's counseling great if that's doing lots of research and reading great if that's you know just talking to friends about it then do it but there's a lot a lot of ways that you can empower yourself and you can sort yourself out and find what that is for you Mm. Yeah, disclosing, I think, is one of the major challenges that we mm. people in HIV face. It's always hard 
I think in the dating scene, um, when you're interested in someone to decide and to pick the right time to mm. disclose that to that mm. person, right? And it could go only two ways. And, uh, you know, like if people is okay with that and you like get along and you mm. oh, fabulous, you know, like uh, whether the other person is HIV negative or is HIV mm. positive as mm. well. Because mm. that's the other thing, right? Yeah. Like, that's another universe. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got some really good friends who were both really nervous about talking to the other one. They were really frightened. They had this date where both of them kind of knew it was the time to do it. They were both really nervous. And the one who was definitely going to bring it up first could feel that the other guy was feeling a little I bit can feel quiet and he was kind of, there was, he was like, oh my God, maybe he's changed his mind. He's really quiet. It, something feels different. I don't know if I'm going to tell him because I feel like maybe he's going to break up with me. And he was just feeling nervous because he knew that he wanted to talk about it as well. So, you know, it's like everyone was feeling the same way, but manifesting it in different ways. And they're both positive. They're both on the same combination medication. They've been together for like 15 years. It's beautiful. Mm, I think that's um, a really, really nice each thing. Other. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you can support each other, you know. But I've certainly been in um, zero discordant relationships where my partner um, has been HIV negative and he mm. stayed HIV negative for many, many, many years. And like there are fabulous human beings, you know, like mm. who are able to like really love you for who you are, mm. you know. And like if you discuss close as well and if the person doesn't take it right and it's just like seems like a trouble that's that's a light as well for you yeah that's a sign for me just to say is it worth it is it worth to invest this much of time because i'm worth it you know Mm. and if if they don't accept me in the way that i am Mm. hit the road jack yeah you know i know it sounds really lightly to say this it's a long it takes a long time to probably or a lot for so many people, mm. including myself, is still nowadays. You know, it's just easier it to say than it, doing it. Exactly. It doesn't mean that it doesn't make you feel shitty. It no. can still make you feel it shitty, someone hurts. rejecting you. Yeah. But the thing is, if they do reject you, they're probably an asshole. Do you really want to be with that person? <laughs> no, they, they are no problem. Praise they me. are uh, <laughs> absolutely an asshole. And the ugly ones. <laughs> because I love assholes, but only the pretty ones. <laughs> They're shitty assholes. Yeah. And they're an undouched <laughs> asshole. Undouched ones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not to say people who are into that are wrong. Wow. Like, yeah, exactly. Don't yuck up anybody's yuck. No, 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 yeah. no. No shaming here. No, no shaming. Right? No shaming. Yeah. Stigma-free zone here. <laughs> Stigma-free But yeah, zone. I mean, if someone's going to reject you on that those grounds, then What's the point? Yeah. Do, you, do you really want to be with someone like yeah, that? that's not a good person. No. And if you do, then... It's a good test, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's a good test, yeah. But um, obviously, like, we can get hurt into Yeah, process, and so the but... support is important. You know, if if you do feel as though it's the time that you want to disclose to someone and talk to someone and you're feeling nervous about it, make sure you've got a little support network there, someone that's going to have your back if it does go badly wrong, a shoulder to cry on or someone that you can just talk to about it afterwards because you need to feel supported and you might not be getting the support that you want from the person you're disclosing to. So. No, 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 no. Rodrigo and I have talked about our experience with being the disclosers. I wanted to ask you, you know, what your experience has been with having people disclose um, their status to you as a HIV negative person, and then also what advice you would give to other HIV negative people on how to be more supportive and how to be a better support network to someone who's doing the work of, you know, 
coming out with their status because mm-hmm. it's such a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. In my experience, having really open conversations, you know, removed of any kind of biases and empowering not only myself, but my my sexual partners to talk about things like testing, phrasing, language, you know, instead of saying things like, are you clean? You know, that I think is just Mm, utterly detestable mm. because what it insinuates is, I mean, that's so stigmatizing at its core. Mm. So let's say I'm on Grindr and somebody messages me and says, are you clean? Well, I say to them, I explain that that's not a term that we should be using and that Mm. why that is not why we should be using it. And then encouraging them to ask me again if I've been tested recently or what's changing that terminology. Changing the terminology. And so, you know, and and I think that is something that everybody can do, Mm. you know, Mm. when were you last tested? Have you been tested recently? And that's a really positive way of doing it rather than having like an angry negative, how dare you talk to me like that? Offering an alternative. It's a really great way of of reframing things. Exactly. And I think as well, you know, I've been on prep now for what, two years? And I think that has played a great part in my own education mm-hmm. and my own embodiment of my understanding of things like undetectable equals untransmittable. Mm. You know, I take the same medication as people living with HIV every day. Mm, mm. It's the same practice. I take a pill every day so I don't acquire HIV. People living with HIV take their medication every day so that they don't develop AIDS or mm. they, you know, but by also taking their medication, they're also protecting others Yeah, because being undetectable is the most effective form of prevention. Absolutely. Um, and that is something that, so when I meet somebody who is living with HIV in a sexual or romantic setting, I feel so equipped to have those conversations and to kind of offer the space for them to, disclose or not disclose what they want to. Mm. Um, But also from my own perspective, because I am taking ownership of my own sexual health, Mm. their business is their business. And I am empowered in my own prevention methods Mm. that I I don't actually have to worry about whether or not they are living with HIV or not. It actually doesn't really come into question for me. Mm. So if if I meet somebody who's living with HIV and, you know, there's great chemistry, then great, you know, like mm. let's have a fucking raunchy that's time. What, yeah. That's what it's about. Exactly. That's, the ba- the, that's what sex is, Exactly. Right? It's about connecting with someone and having a really hot time. hundred percent. And, you know, I remember meeting this one guy and he knew that I worked at NZAF and, um, <laughs> he was so he was so sweet. He yeah, he was so lovely. He was like, you know, thank you for the work that you do for our community, but also like from my own and he disclosed in that moment he was like, you know, I'm living with HIV. And it was just like, great. Let's talk more about it. so mm. our like foreplay was talking about his status. Which was awesome. Yeah. And then we had this really, really hot time. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to still have this amazing human being in my life. Amazing. And um, allyship is so important. Mm, Um, mm. And we can all be allies, regardless of whether or not we're on prep. Like I, I said that, you know, prep helps because I have an understanding. I'm in a regular system of testing. Exactly. But you don't have to be on prep to do that. No. It's just, mm. but I have to say that um, for me, it's way easier to disclose. Yeah. Like if I want to hook up with someone, mm. 
rarely, really. But when I when I really want to hook up with someone, it's like, and it, if I find out that they are on prep, it just makes it so easier for me. Yeah. And I think it is exactly for what you're saying because if you're on prep, it means that you at least have some basic knowledge how to prevent HIV. You're like taking control, you know, over your own sexuality. So it just, for me, it's a clear sign. Not everyone is like that, but for me, it's like a really, really important clear sign that I'm quite confident to disclose with those people, you yeah. know, and that we're yeah. going to get along. Absolutely. Maybe it's just the actual um, medication component, you know, that is like right. a that mm. is like a common denominator there, yeah. you know, because yeah. like you said, it's, for some people it's part of the actual treatment um, mm. prep as well. But yeah, I think, I think definitely for me has empowered me, like prep has empowered me to actually disclose my status with my sexual partners. Yeah. Mm. Uh, because I know that is really helpful for them as well. You know, it's like mm. uh, anti-anxiety mm. as well. Appeal, sure. You know, yeah, I call yeah, it yeah. that as well. And that has increased, like, I would say that probably the satisfaction that I mm. get out of, like, sexual mm. encounters with those guys, you know, because they are, it's like if they are liberated, you know, Absolutely. they are not afraid of me. They are not yeah. afraid mm. of, like, going into my deepest God, yeah. Your deepest <laughs> orifice. Your exactly. second hole. Getting so deep that you get into the, uh, the, yes. the, the bowel. <laughs> oh, it God, that's girl. visceral. <laughs> but the connection is amazing. Exactly. She's going deep today. She's gone deep. She's gone balls deep. Um, uh, uh, she's going also, knees she's deep. Going, <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's going elbow deep. Um, I That just made me think of something else as well in terms of stigma. And prep stigma, yes. because one thing that I experience as a prep user, and you know, because obviously condoms provide a physical, visual barrier that people can see, mm. and are our most effective prevention for STIs. Yeah, as a prep user, my need for condom use or my preferred prevention method is prep, obviously, and so I don't engage in condom use as much. I usually engage if it is empowering for the other person, if the other person wants to wear me to wear a condom mm-hmm. or if they want to wear a condom, totally fine. But for me, my preferred method of prevention is PrEP. And I had this conversation with this guy at a bar once where he basically came up to me and he said, oh, you PrEP users are the reason we have, you know, a syphilis epidemic in Auckland or, you know, you're, you're the reason why STIs are still around. And I said to him, I said, well, this is interesting for me because I'm in a system of testing where I have to get tested every three months in order to acquire my PrEP prescription. Mm -hmm. So if I acquire an STI, if I get diagnosed with an STI, I get it treated there and then. I'm able to notify my partners and they're able to get it treated. So in a way, not really. (laughs) You know, I'm in a regular system of testing. I'm taking ownership of my sexual health and the sexual health of my partners. And a chlamydia or a gonorrhea diagnosis will be, you know, early detection, early treatment, contact tracing, and it's sorted, you know? It's the people who aren't, who do have the internalized stigma and the fear of getting those results Mm. that are contributing to arising cases and you know syphilis has been on the rise for decades it's just a fact of life but yeah going back to my original point is that as a prep user there is an element of um slut shaming that happens well now imagine how it is for someone because like you're using prep right mm, and you're hiv mm, negative mm. um for us as hiv positive men like it's the shaming is even more because yeah. because actually legally we are 
forced to disclose our HIV status if we're having condomless sex. Mm. Yeah, you know, I wanted I mean, to ask I, you about that because yeah, that's it's not something important. that I've... I've um, uh, look, unfortunately, we... And that's one of the things that we need to challenge. You know, mm. earlier when you asked me, like, what do we need to do to debunk stigma? Well, one of the things that we also need to do, especially in Aotearoa, New Zealand, is that we need to change that status that mm. we HIV positive people we have legally we have to disclose our status if we are having condomless sex. Wow. It's also worth to mention that if you are if like if I am having sex, I'm HIV positive and I use condoms, I don't have to disclose. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. So so for all our listeners who might be living with HIV and they're using condoms, just rest well because mm. like you don't have to disclose it. It's only if you're having condomless sex that you need to disclose. Right. But that's wrong, you know, yeah. because mm. like lots of people have been like diagnosed with HIV in New Zealand and literally the first or the second thing that they are told after giving them their diagnosis is... And you have to disclose your status because the law says this. So imagine, mm. like, you get a news that your whole life has changed because you have an HIV diagnosis. And the second most important thing that the healthcare practitioners or people must generally tell you is that you have to, like, watch out for the law, you know? Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the case for some people, mm. you know? Um, I mean, that's not the scenario when I was diagnosed in Mexico. Like, mm. we don't have that kind of legislation. I guess it's an outdated legislation in New Zealand that yeah, it needs absolutely. to be challenged. Because the law says that if you don't take reasonable precautions to prevent HIV transmission, mm. at that time when this piece of legislation came out, um, the only really way to protect yourself was just like using condoms but there was no prep at the Mm. time Mm. and also obviously there was no idea of this concept of U equals U undetectable U equals untransmittable Mm. people living with HIV on treatment not passing on HIV even if if we don't use condoms, you know, yeah. that, that piece of information, we did not know that. That's what we need to challenge in this case. And mm. the New Zealand Foundation is doing some advocacy work in that space. Cool. But it's important to say it, you know, because mm. obviously mm. it's a legal issue. But also it just makes us more vulnerable to yeah. the stigma because when you disclose, because you have to disclose it legally, that's when we just like are exposed to whatever the other person wants to tell us. And yeah. And yeah, it's not, absolutely. It's, not, it's it's detrimental in the long term for our well being as someone living with HIV. Gotcha. It's like people weaponizing the law in order to uh, right. marginalize people who are taking reasonable precaution. They're mm. taking their medication every day. But also, it's that prevents people. Like, so imagine, like, if that piece of legislation is there, I don't know if I will feel comfortable. Like, if I was HIV negative, would I feel comfortable to go and seek testing and find out about my HIV status? Exactly. I don't know. Like, it puts another barrier in place, right? doesn't it? it? I think you know. so. I mean, mm, yeah. it's just a little bit of like falling into the old saying of like uh, ignorance is bliss for them, and mm, it's not. So mm. it's sort of a, this legislation in some way prevents yeah. uh, people to reaching out again. You know, like just accepting yourself the way that you are and just mm. getting tested, knowing your HIV status, like getting treatment and just get on with your life. Mm. In some way, that is also a factor that contributes to people not knowing their status, yeah, getting tested, right. you know, because yeah. why do you want to, why would you be wanting to know your status if you know that potentially you can be treated as a criminal? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, that boils down to that thing that, you know, we say a lot is that it's not HIV that kills, it's the stigma that kills. It is. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Rodrigo. It's been so amazing having it's a kiki with you. Yeah. It's been so great. And thank you for being so, so frank and open and, and sharing your story. And Amen. yeah, yeah. No, thank you for having me here. Thank you for sharing us uh, with us as well, Steph, about your status. Mm. It's really powerful. It's really inspiring. I think that we need, um, yeah, quite a lot of change, you know, in New Zealand mm. to address stigma. And 1st of December, which is the World AIDS Day, we are just going to be celebrating, you know, and it's always mm. about having these conversations, mm. you know, about mm. HIV and stigma and how that affects our our own life, Absolutely. you know, our community, yeah. our family, our whanau. So, yeah, uh, let's celebrate this uh, 1st of December, just speaking about this and speaking up, you know, mm. for us. And we may not know anyone living with HIV, maybe because, I don't know, like, it's, 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 it's a common situation when we think that we don't know anyone living with HIV, but possibly someone of our friends or mm. our family they may be living with HIV or our coworkers, you know, mm-hmm. like, and so we need to be aware that people um, have fears to disclose their status. So we, we need to be more empathetic and educate ourselves a little bit more about that. Mm, so, yeah. but yeah, thank you for having me here. It's been Pleasure. wonderful. And um, yeah, cool. see you next time. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Ending HIV. We're looking for the most talented performers in our community to perform at the Big Gay Out 2021. If you have an act you want to show off, head to our show notes for the link to apply. So we asked you, our wonderful listeners, what you wanted to know about stigma. And here's the first question. What do you wish everyone knew about living with HIV? I think uh, the number one thing there for me would be that undetectable truly equals untransmittable and that having an HIV diagnosis in 2020 is not a death sentence. Mm. It is it is just a pathway of living a happy, healthy, long life In this country, you're able to access treatment for free if you are living with HIV. Mm. And you can have intimate, loving relationships with people, beautiful friendships. It's something to celebrate. Mm. It's amazing, yeah. Mm. The thing that I would like people to know is that the medication that you take once you're diagnosed as, as being HIV positive is not a massive imposition at all. It's pretty easy. It's just part of your daily routine. It reminds me of um, something that um, when I first went to see the HIV specialist, um, when I started taking medication, he said to me, you'll take this treatment for sort of 40, 45 years. And I said, and what happens after that? And he says, well, you'll be old and you'll die. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of funny because it's like, you know, that's what you're going to die from is old age, yeah, right? Yeah. Not AIDS anymore. <laughs> exactly. So it's, you know, it's it's definitely not the death sentence yeah. that it was um, when I was a young person. And, you know, it, it really doesn't affect me in any way. And obviously getting my head straight about, um, you know, all of the, the misconceptions that I was fed as a young person yeah. have meant now that I'm just 
just getting on with it. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's um, the misconceptions part is a massive thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and education is so important. Educating yourself and knowing the facts is so important and just helps ease any anxiety around anything to do with living with HIV. Absolutely. Yeah. What does treatment look like in 2020? I kind of covered that in in the first question, but I guess just to recap, it's really just a very, very small part of the routine of your day. There's no side effects. I do definitely know that um, in earlier versions of the combination therapy, um, there were certain side effects that some of the medication had, but we're now in a place that all of that stuff has been removed. Mm-hmm. And, and really, it's just a case of taking the meds and then just getting on with life. It's, Absolutely. you know, we're, we're, we're so lucky to live in this time that we live in now. It's, um, there's been so much madness that's happened before this. And, and here we are now in this really amazing, well-supported, scientifically advanced time, which is, you know, such that's a lucky That's really powerful, I think. You know, we stand on the shoulders. Mm. We stand on the shoulders of people who have gone before. Mm. We stand on the shoulders of those who weren't as lucky as we are mm-hmm. to live in, in this age with these medical advancements. Mm. And mm. that is something as a young person that I never take for granted. Mm. And it is something that I implore all of our young listeners to just have a little awareness of when mm. they're, you know, when they're taking their prep or they're, you know, putting that condom on, you know, just having a reflection and, and, and an awareness that, Many, many, many millions of lives mm. uh, have gone before in order for us to live as freely, as healthily, and as openly as we do. Yeah, um, it's a wonderful thing. And just on treatment as well, I think, you know, the availability for therapeutic treatment and therapy for people recently diagnosed with HIV mm-hmm. is so available. You know, we have incredible counsellors here at NZAF Mm. um, and, you know, through Auckland Hospital, they've got incredible, incredible doctors Mm. um, in the infectious diseases unit and everything. Incredible teams to help support people living with HIV. Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful time to be alive. And our last question, what language is stigmatizing or should be avoided? Well, we covered this in the interview using the term clean is just not on. It just insinuates something awful and is you may be trying to save time and getting to the point, but just don't do it. Mm. You know, replace the language with constructive questions. When were you last tested? Have you been tested recently? What's your status? Do you know your status? Mm. Um, These questions, which can promote positive conversation, pardon the pun, but don't have any judgment attached to it. So that would be my main point with that. Absolutely. And and we were we were talking earlier to our wonderful producer Vic, who was talking about people making jokes about HIV Mm, or mm. using HIV and AIDS as some sort of um, negative terminology to um, put someone down or make someone feel as if there's something wrong. And this is just not on. Like if if you're to say something like you'll get AIDS if you touch that or, you know, it's like that's extremely uncool. And And extremely untrue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I mean to put HIV... Or AIDS in a negative framing is, you know, it's just not on. I mean, I also was saying that, you know, often 
me and other positive friends will use it as a kind of a making light of it, making, um, you know, having a, a little kind of in-joke, I guess. But mm. it's the same as, um, you know, someone who's not gay using the word fag or yes, exactly. um, homo. Yeah. Um, people as someone who's not black using the N-word. It's like these are not your terms. This yeah. is not something yeah. that you can play around with. So yeah, 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 exactly. Keep it clean, people. Keep it it clean. And just one last point on language um, with regards to HIV. Um, And this is something I want all of our listeners to understand really, really clearly, that HIV and AIDS are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. HIV is a manageable chronic condition and AIDS is a disease that when left untreated will lead to opportunistic infection and eventually death. They are not the same thing. So when you when you are referring to somebody living with HIV, they are living with HIV and they are not an AIDS patient or some mm. kind of weird kind of convoluted mistruth, mm. untruth or whatever the word is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point to make. Positivity is always the best way forward. Positivity you know? is Reinforcement, the best way forward. Reinforcement, love, positivity. Mm. Um, any kind of negative language is stigmatizing. Exactly. Really. Exactly. Hold yourself with dignity and mm. and, 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 and support and, and love. Support and love. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> simple as that. <laughs> mm. I love it. Thank you so much for submitting your questions. We love hearing from you. And um, yeah, I I hope that we've given some good answers here. So um, we'll answer some more next time. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about next. Tell us on our Instagram, which is endinghivnz. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share with all your friends. And check out the show notes for all the juicy links and resources. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Bye.